Happy Easter, everyone. Some great news to start off the Paschal season. Tennessee lawmakers have voted to expel two of their Democrat colleagues from the State House of Representatives after those colleagues shut down the legislative session and led a mob across the House floor to intimidate lawmakers. There was a third Democrat legislator who was involved, but her behavior was slightly less obscene than that of the other two. So she was able to survive the expulsion motion by a single vote. Still pretty good news though, right? Democracy defeats the unruly mob. Everyone should be happy. But one vice president, Kamala Harris, is not. It wasn't about the three of these leaders. It was about who they were representing. It's about whose voices they were channeling. Understand that. And is that not what a democracy allows? A democracy says you don't silence the people. You do not stifle the people. You don't turn off their microphones when they are speaking about the importance of life and liberty. So first of all, that is literally what a democracy does. Tennessee lawmakers acted entirely within their rights, actually within their obligations as duly elected representatives to expel the people who tried to undermine the democratic process. Second, Kamala Harris gave that speech in Nashville. Nice to see she finally remembered where Tennessee is. The administration couldn't be bothered to show up after a trans-identifying shooter targeted and murdered six people, including children, at a Christian elementary school in the lead up to Easter. But now that Democrats lost some seats for trying to overthrow the statehouse, now Kamala remembers how to get to Nashville. Interesting. Third, though, haven't Kamala and her crew been telling us for two years now that disrupting legislative sessions is the worst crime imaginable in our sacred democracy, that it's an insurrection that threatens everything we hold dear. And that's just when regular people are doing it. Forget about when the legislators themselves are doing it. Usually it's Democrats who are actually rioting, of course, in which case that's a wonderful expression of democracy. Of course, it's absurd. Of course, it's a double standard. But calling out hypocrisy and a three or four bucks in Biden's economy will get you a cup of coffee. It used to be a buck 50, but inflation has made it tough. Calling out hypocrisy is how conservatives are going to pass the time when the liberals finally haul us off to the gulags. The great news here is that Republicans are wielding political power against their opponents in a just, prudent, and swift way. Republicans around the rest of the country should take note. This is how you deal with liars and bullies. Great job, Tennessee. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. The mob is getting really, really crazy. There was a mob that violently attacked Riley Gaines, who is a young female athlete speaking out against the transgender madness. And she was pummeled over at San Francisco State. We'll get to that in just a little bit. First, though, speaking of mobs, did you see the story out of Texas? This is probably the most egregious miscarriage of justice I've seen in at least three or four hours now. I don't know. They keep coming pretty rapidly. Army Sergeant Daniel Perry. He's a guy who was driving his car, minding his own business back in 2020. 
he found himself surrounded by BLM rioters. And a BLM rioter was carrying an AK-47, pointing that AK-47 at Daniel Perry, at his car. And as the rioters killed dozens of people, this man is being threatened directly with a weapon, with a pretty, pretty serious rifle. And so Daniel Perry defended himself and shot the man who was pointing the gun at him. Open and shut case, right? And this is Texas too, which is a pretty reasonable state. So initially, it was all fine. Then a George Soros-backed district attorney took over and decided to pursue charges against a man for defending himself against an unruly mob that was pointing a gun at him. Then that district attorney, Jose Garza, decided to, at least according to David Fugit, who is a lead investigating detective in the case, Garza decided to ignore exculpatory evidence of Perry, decided to suppress that exculpatory evidence of Perry, decided that he was going to do whatever he can to put the innocent man, the guy who was protecting himself, behind bars to defend the violent terror mob of Black Lives Matter. Obviously, Perry needs to be pardoned. And Governor Abbott down there in Texas has said that Perry will receive a full pardon the first moment that that the request comes across his desk. That's good. I want to see it, though. I don't want to hear just promises. I don't want this thing to be dragged out. We need an absolute full pardon. I think there should be a full pardon for anybody, any normal person who has been targeted by these Soros prosecutors. Because don't forget, there's two sides to the story of the Soros-backed prosecutors. I know we're not allowed to say it because we don't, the Democrats don't want us to open the curtain on their political strategy, but George Soros is one of the most influential Democratic donors. He's given a ton of money over the years, and he remains very, very active in Democrat politics. And in recent years, he's pursued a particular strategy of funding prosecutors in cities with the express intent of letting ordinary criminals off the hook. But then the flip side to that is prosecuting conservatives. You let the leftists who commit actual crimes, you let them off the hook. You, you find the conservatives who are just being normal <laughs> and opposing the left, and you try to throw them behind bars. And you've seen the consequences of this broader move within the criminal justice system in recent years. The DOJ is going to go after parents who don't want their kids to get transed in elementary school. DOJ is going to go after Catholics who go to mass on Sunday. DOJ is going to go after pro-lifers who are peacefully protesting and who are saying prayers outside of abortion clinics. Meanwhile, they're going to let murderers off the hook. They're going to let millions of illegal aliens who come into the country, they're going to completely let them off the hook. They're going to let terrorists, BLM, that burns the country down for eight months, going to let them off the hook. That's the flip side. And so what the conservatives need to do is not just point out the hypocrisy, not just point out the double standard. We have to do something about it. It's it's not rocket science, okay? You don't need an advanced degree in political science. The libs are going after the innocent people and they're, they're letting the criminals off the hook. We need to reverse that. And we need to wield the power we got. So absolutely, Governor Abbott, pardon this man fully. Then let's go further. Let's start prosecuting BLM. Let's go further. If the libs can prosecute Trump for a non-crime that he allegedly committed seven years ago, I think we can prosecute the leftists who were marauding and raping and pillaging and killing just three years ago. Don't you think we can do that? I think we can. Then we got to go further. We need to recognize that in this 
bifurcated system of justice, there are political prisoners. There are dissidents who are being persecuted by this regime. And where we've got the power, we got to let them off the hook. And we need to go after the genuine bad guys, okay? Things are getting a little crazy out there in the political order, in the justice system, especially in the economy. It's why you got to check out Birch Gold. Right now, text Knowles to 989898. Robert Kiyosaki, the author of the best-selling book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, has just cautioned that the world economy is on the verge of collapse, warning of bank runs, frozen savings, and bail-ins. He suggests that you, quote, buy real gold and silver coins now. In this volatile market, diversification has never been more important. That is why buying gold with Birch Gold is such a smart choice. The government spending is out of control. Long-term bonds have diminished in value, which is crippling banks. Depositors are holding their breath and investors are bailing on bank stocks. You cannot spend your way out of inflation. Gold is a tangible asset with a reliable store of value because it's not tied to any one economy or currency. It can be a safe haven in times of crisis. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in physical precious metals like gold and silver. It is time to start thinking about your investments and your future. You need to consider diversifying into gold with Birch Gold. Text Knowles, Canada WLAS, 298 to claim your free info kit on gold today and talk to a precious metals expert. That is Knowles to 989898. Speaking of guilty verdicts, President Trump has been indicted now. He's been indicted for this non-crime that he committed seven years ago, which in my view does not even come close to rising to the level of a misdemeanor, but and it's a very novel legal theory that suggests that it would even be a misdemeanor. But then even more absurd, the prosecutor in New York, Alvin Bragg, is trying to argue that this is a felony. He's not even explaining how this could be a felony. And all of that's silly, but it doesn't mean that they won't convict Trump. In fact, Alan Dershowitz, who has been a lawyer for President Trump, he's been on this show. He's one of the leading legal minds in the country, Harvard Law Professor Emeritus. He says he thinks Trump is going to be found guilty. I don't think I could get this case dismissed so easily. Uh, I don't think that uh, I don't think that if you had the best lawyers in the history of the world, Abraham Lincoln and John Marshall, a New York City judge would dismiss this case because that New York City judge's life would be over. Everybody would point to him the way they pointed to me when I defended Trump. Yes. Oh my God, there's the man who helped Trump get free. So I don't think it's going to be easy. I think he probably will be convicted by wow. a New York jury. Uh, who voted for Bragg and voted for Get Trump, it will be reversed on appeal. It will never be affirmed all the way up to the Supreme Court. But uh, Bragg's going to be popular. He'll be reelected. Uh, and, and, and he'll probably win his case unless, unless there is a change of venue. Uh, Alan Dershowitz is almost certainly right. He's usually right about these things. So you say, okay, well, at least Trump will get off the hook when it's appealed. Okay, is he... He's kind of long in the tooth, okay? He's a young, vibrant man, certainly in his behavior, but he's, he's not that young. And even forget about the time scale of his, the rest of his life. What about the time scale of a campaign? How long before this thing, first of all, comes to a guilty verdict, then gets appealed, then maybe goes up to the Supreme Court? It's going to be long after the presidential election. So what matters is not what happens eventually. What matters is what happens over the next 18 months. So putting that aside for a second, putting the legal aspect aside, this continues to be the best argument for the Trump campaign. In a way, this is a win-win. It's a win for Alvin Bragg, the DA, because he knows that he needs to go after Trump to get reelected. He ran on, on going after Trump, so he's got to go after him 
to get reelected, even if it'll be overturned, even if it's legally ridiculous. But then two, this is great for Trump's campaign because the, the best argument for Trump's campaign is not that he's necessarily got the best policies. He's got great policies and he succeeded at bringing about some great policies as president. He had some clunkers in there too. So it's a mixed bag and the other candidates are untested. So, so they can make the case that they would have better policy. It's not that Trump hires the best people. We know that. Trump himself would say, no, I've had some real losers in there in in my crew. It's not that Trump has the most even temperament. (laughs) Trump has a very charming personality that has served him well for 40 years, but he's turned a lot of people off too. The argument for Trump is that if the libs hate him this much, that they would go to unprecedented lengths to stop him from being elected, then he must be the best choice. That's the whole argument for the Trump campaign. That's the argument that the other candidates can't make. Governor DeSantis can say, I'm the better version of Trump. I'm putting all these great policies forward in Florida. He can make a very plausible argument for all of that. The one special bonus that Trump has over not just DeSantis, but all the other candidates is he can say, yeah, but they're going after me the hardest. So while the, while the other campaigns will spin that and say, yeah, see, we have a better shot of getting elected, Trump is going to say, yeah, but they're going after me the hardest. They're going to historic, unprecedented lengths to arrest the president. They're arresting a former president and current leader of the opposition. They're probably going to do it three times before this campaign is over. That tells you exactly why it's got to be me. I'm not saying that's a persuasive argument. I'm just telling you that is the argument for the campaign, and it's the best argument that I've heard so far for the reelection of Trump. So what are the Republicans doing about it? I'm really pleased to say, you know, we're so down, especially on the Republicans a lot of the time, because they're so spineless. But Republicans seem to be growing a spine. This is a nice start to the Easter season. You're seeing now House Republicans moving to go after the prosecutors in this case. And especially Jim Jordan, who is just absolutely terrific. There was some talk that Jim Jordan maybe could become the Speaker of the House when the conservative wing didn't want McCarthy and the more moderate wing didn't want any of the Freedom Caucus people. And Jim Jordan's name was floated as someone who would be acceptable to all sides. And and Jim just said, no, I don't want it. (laughs) I don't want it. Stop trying to make me be Speaker of the House. I want to stay on judiciary. That's where my expertise is. That's where I've got a plan to do things. Don't give me the worst job in Washington. And people finally respected his decision. Well, now we see why we want Jim Jordan on judiciary. Jim Jordan has decided to subpoena a Manhattan prosecutor who resigned because the DA, Alvin Bragg, initially said he would not prosecute Trump. So what's this about? This is a warning shot to Alvin Bragg. This is a warning shot saying, be very careful of how you proceed here because we're going to come after you and we're going to come after the people around you and we're going to dig up all the dirt on how malicious and transparently partisan this prosecution of Trump is. And we're going to bring in a guy who was impelling you to do it at first. And he's going to air all that dirty laundry and he's, he's got no reason not to do it because he already resigned. How is Congress going to do this? Wouldn't you say, well, this is, this is a matter for the states. You hypocrite conservatives, I thought you respected states' rights and federalism and subsidiarity. Let New York do what New York wants to do. Well, here's the legal argument for it. According to Jim, quote, Congress has a specific and manifestly important interest 
in preventing politically motivated prosecutions of current and former presidents by state and local prosecutors, particularly in jurisdictions like New York County, where the prosecutor is popularly elected and trial-level judges lack life tenure. She was saying this is just an aspect of democratic politics, which obviously Congress has some interest in, and they especially have an interest when these prosecutions are against a president, when they're against people from the federal government. This is a really, really great move, and I hope this is just the very first warning shot for the Republicans to say, we're done. We're done with this. We're done being held to a, an incoherent standard by the left that the left does not recognize. We're done conceding and rolling over and only playing defense, a defensive strategy that has not defended anything. No, we're going to start playing real hardball politics, and we'll do it in a just way, and we'll do it within the bounds of the law, but we're going to do it, okay? So when you come in and you try to disrupt our legislative session, one of those Tennessee Three, as they're calling them, one of these radical leftist Democrat lawmakers who led the mob into the actual legislative session and tried to disrupt the proceedings, that guy had been arrested just a few years ago as, as a protester, as one of the activists going in, assaulting the Speaker of the Tennessee House. Okay, these guys are absolute miscreants. They have no business in the legislature. And the Tennessee Republicans are saying, yeah, you're out. Well, we'll, we'll call you racist. Yeah, okay, cool. What, we'll call you, I don't know, what, else, what other insults do we have? Um, phobic. Yeah, okay, sure. Okay, call me whatever you want. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but your lies will not hurt me, and they will not prevent me from pursuing my political agenda. Jim Jordan, oh, you're going to go after Trump and you're going to pretend this is within the bounds of law? Okay, I think we're going to subpoena the guys around you. We're going to figure out what this is really about. And then we're going to go after you, Mr. Bragg, and we are not going to roll over anymore. Now, speaking of controversial people being interviewed, Alyssa Heinerscheid. You probably haven't heard that name before. Alyssa Heinerscheid, no relation to my own sweet little Alyssa. Very different women. Uh, Alyssa Heinerscheid is the VP of marketing at Bud Light. And here is Alyssa Heinerscheid explaining why Bud Light has gone trans. I'm a businesswoman. Mm -hmm. I had a really clear job to do when I took over Bud Light. And it was, this brand is in decline. It's been in decline for a really long time. And if we do not attract young drinkers to come and drink this brand, there will be no future for Bud Light. So I had this super clear mandate. It's like, Mm -hmm. we need to evolve and elevate this incredibly iconic brand. And my, what I brought to that was a belief in, okay, what is, what do, what does evolve and elevate mean? It means inclusivity. It means shifting the tone. It means having a campaign that's truly inclusive and feels lighter and brighter and different and appeals to women and to men. Mm-hmm. And representation is at sort of the heart of evolution. You've got put, to put see people here. who... So you see she's using market language. She's saying, look, the, the brand is in decline. It's all these old men drinking Bud Light, which I don't think is true, by the way. I think primarily people who drink Bud Light are frat stars. It's true that older like construction workers and guys at baseball games, that's, tr- that's a little bit of an older crowd. But it's mostly... Frat guys, as far as I'm concerned, and young college kids. But okay. And she says, so the way to, look, we just have to do it to evolve the brand. And the way to do it is to appeal to women and men. You know, women and men who famously love transvestitism, right? Uh, do th- I don't think they do, but keep going. 
see people who reflect you in the work. And we had this hangover. I mean, Bud Light had been... People who reflect you. Yeah, nothing reflects me like Dylan Mulvaney. People who reflect 0.1% of the population. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. I, I finally feel seen. Now I can drink Bud Light because... A, a man dressed up as Audrey Hepburn, who who is a Broadway musical star. Yeah, he that he just really represents me. In kind of a brand of fratty, kind of out of touch humor, and it was really important <laughs> that we had another approach. So she admits she goes, "It's just these old people who do it." But and but uh, but and that's why Bud Light was mostly a fratty kind of brand. Well. People who are in fraternities are not old. They tend to be pretty young. And they said it's, it's out of touch humor. No, you know what's much funnier? Zealous ideological liberals. Yeah, we're just, we're known for our humor. <laughs> oh yeah, all the stand-up comedians. Yeah, they're known for how, how much they all love political correctness. That's what makes a successful comedian, right? I don't think so. It says we, we have to appeal to the people. And the way to do that is through transgenderism. According to Pew Research, 60% of Americans say that a person's gender is determined by his biological sex, his sex assigned at birth. By the way, 60%, that's the majority of Americans, that's not a decline. It's not like it used to be 80% and now it's 60%. That's actually an increase just over the last two years. In 2021, it was only 56% who said that. In 2017, it was only 54% who said that. So transgenderism is less accepted today than it was two years ago, and much less accepted today than it was six years ago. The plurality of Americans say that society has gone too far advancing transgender rights. So there are different views about this, but the largest number of people who have any view on transgenderism, according to Pew Research, which is a very respected polling firm, or a very respected research institute, says that we've gone too far. We need to roll back the quote-unquote transgender rights, of which there are none, by the way, because transgenderism is a false anthropology. So it's just, it's wrong about human nature, and wrongs cannot be rights. That's why they call them rights. So this isn't about helping the company adapt to the culture. That's not what this is about. This is about as it always is, forcing the culture to adapt to leftism through the companies. She's making this disingenuous market argument. Look, it's just about adapting to changing times. No, you people are forcing the changing times by grabbing up a lot of political power and then wielding it against the desires of the people, be they through the democratic process or be they through the market. Now, Speaking of the market, what if I told you you could really, really help fix your company's finances? Well, you can do that with Ramp. Right now, go to ramp.com slash Knowles. Do you want a better way to simplify your business finances across expenses, vendor payments, and accounting? If so, Ramp could be a complete game changer for your business. Ramp is a corporate card and expense management software designed to help you save time and money. With Ramp, you can issue cards to every employee with limits and restrictions and automate expense reporting so you can stop wasting time at the end of every month. Ramp's accounting software automatically collects receipts and categorizes your expenses in real time so you don't have to. The time you'll save each month on employee expenses will allow you to close your books eight times faster. 
Businesses that use Ramp save an average of 3.5% within the first year. Ramp is easy to use. Get started in less than 15 minutes, whether you have five employees or 5,000. Right now, you can get $250 when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash Knowles. That is R-A-M-P dot com slash Knowles. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank, members FDIC. Terms and conditions apply. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Michael, how do you get your hair so shiny and voluminous and spectacular? Well, the answer is Jeremy's Razors Shampoo and Conditioner. That's right. Jeremy's Razors is more than just a razor company fighting to protect your values. It is also a men's grooming brand that doesn't hate men. And this quaff that you see here, is fortified every morning thanks to Jeremy's tea tree and argan oil infused shampoo and conditioner. But that's not all. Jeremy's also has exfoliating charcoal body wash made with hydrating aloe vera, eucalyptus, and just the right amount of pomegranate. You don't want too much pomegranate in your charcoal body wash, okay? The men's care products you see here are made with natural ingredients. They're 100% sulfate-free, paraben-free, woke-free, and made right here in the good old U.S. of A. Head on over to jeremysrazors.com to kick woke companies out of your bathroom today. Now, speaking of leftist identity politics, John Leguizamo, fairly well-known actor, John Leguizamo will not watch the Mario movie. He has come out against the Mario movie. Why? Because... There aren't any Latinos in it. Are you going to be watching Super Mario Brothers? No, I will not be watching Super Mario Brothers. Oh, my goodness. They they could have included a Latin character. Like, I I was groundbreaking, and then they stopped the groundbreaking. I know, but, well, you know what? They messed up the inclusion. (laughs) They disincluded. I know. Right. So what do you say to people who who might actually go out and support this? Should you say, hey, guys, if you stand for inclusion, maybe you should Just cast some Latin folk. Cast some Latin folk. We're, we're 20% of the population, the largest people of color group, and we're underrepresented, overrepresented in the worst kind of jobs, though. Oh, I know. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So no Super Mario Brothers for you? Hell no. Hell no. They didn't make Mario Mexican. So I, I don't know who needs to hear this. I think maybe John Leguizamo is the only person who needs to hear this. Mario is Italian. Mario is not Mexican or Salvadoran or Peruvian or Argentine. He's, his whole character is that he is Italian. So if you boycott the Mario movie because they didn't cast a Mexican as an Italian, you're just saying you hate white people. And Italians aren't even that white. They are the least white of the white people. They are a racially liminal, ethnically ambiguous part of whatever makes up white people. You know what it is? To quote Sill from The Sopranos, it's anti-Italian discrimination. And it's anti-white discrimination just generally. It's this argument that, yeah, we don't like white people. We don't want white people to play even the white people roles. We only want non-white people to play the white people roles. And if any white person dares play a non-white role, we're going to call that blackface or brownface, and we're going to ruin your life, and we're going to take away your career. Mario is Italian. 
Mario, is it, we're now at the, we're now at the stage of society where it is controversial to say babies are people, men are not women, and Mario and Luigi are Italian. Now, speaking of the second part of that identity mayhem that we're living through right now, Riley Gaines. Riley Gaines, you know her, young college athlete, speaking out against the transgender agenda, meeting a lot of pushback. We all meet pushback when we talk out about that. She was just violently attacked at San Francisco State. So Riley Gaines, she was was escorted out of her speech. Cops are pulling her away from the mob. What What they did was they tripped the lights during her speech, so I'm she was unprotected. No one could really see her. And the mob people start punching her in the head, hitting her. And then these curiously demon-resembling maniacs start ch- chase her into a room and start screaming, "Yeah, you're crying, you c-word, you b-word, trans." And then they they locked her in that room. She was stuck in that room for three hours. Why couldn't the cops just start beating these people down, these violent agitators? Why couldn't the cops just at least pull out their billy clubs and just start beating them into submission? I don't know. I I don't know. What are the cops there for? They, They brought Riley into the room to protect her. But when there is a violent mob that has already been inflicting violence on a poor young woman, that's when the cops are supposed to get violent too against the people who instigated the violence. That's the point of having cops. I don't even totally blame the officers. They know what's going to happen. They know the minute that they in any way use their just authority to stop a, an, a current threat, a current violent action from a protected class like the so-called transgender people, they know their life is over. They're not only going to lose their jobs, they're going to be prosecuted. It raises the question when you see a video like that, which doesn't even show the first assault because they shut the lights off in the room when they started attacking her. It raises this question, why is this group so particularly violent? I've been in and around politics for a pretty long time. I worked my first campaign when I was 19 years old, first, first national campaign. And We've run afoul of all sorts of leftist groups. There are all sorts of little leftist activist groups, the feminists, the environmentalists, the this group, the that group. And they all get kind of feisty. I can just tell you firsthand the violence and the threats and the reaction from the transgender activists, it's on a completely different level. It's almost different in kind rather than degree. Why is that? We all know. We all know, even though I know we're not allowed to say it on big tech. Why is it that this group of people tends to be so unreasonable in their behavior? With a lot of other groups, when they start making threats against a young woman who's giving a speech at a college, usually you say, oh, it's such BS. Who cares? Keyboard warriors, they're not going to do anything. They'll come to their senses before they do anything crazy. 
unless the group is defined specifically by its lack of reasonableness, specifically by a defect in their, their reason. This is why the libs are leaning so hard on the transgender mob right now. There are other reasons why the libs have pushed the transgender ideology, but one of the reasons that they're leaning so hard on the transgender mob is because they lean on all sorts of groups to go do their dirty work for them and to use violence in the streets. And then what they do is they elect prosecutors to just let their militia wing off the hook. But one of the reasons that they're, they're leaning so hard on the transgender group right now is because it is, it is unreasonable by definition. And so when those threats come in, you have to take them a little more seriously because unreasonable people cannot be counted on to come to their reason. Now, what what did San Francisco State do about this? You know what they did. They issued an apology letter to the protesters. This is, they did the same thing when I was attacked. Luckily, I was only attacked with a squirt gun full of whatever weird liquids were in that squirt gun. It was also on the transgender issue when years ago, before the transgender thing really became the, the big national issue that it is, this is back in 2017, 2018 or something, I gave a speech called Men Are Not Women and Other Uncomfortable Truths. And the chancellor of the school wrote an apology letter that I was invited in the first place. Well, here you had, dear San Francisco State community, today San Francisco State finds itself again at the center of a national discussion regarding freedom of speech and expression. Let me begin by clearly saying the trans community is welcome and belongs at San Francisco State. Not the poor young woman who was violently attacked and sent running into a room barricaded for three hours. No, 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 the mob. We want you to know your mob is welcome here. Thank you to our students who participated peacefully in Thursday evening's event. Peacefully. They knocked this poor woman's clock. They chased her, battered into a room. Hulking dudes beat up a woman, a young woman at a speech for speaking, chased her into a room, and the VP of Student Affairs at San Francisco State says thank you to our students who participated peacefully. Thursday evening's event. I'm so proud. I'm proud of the moments when our students demonstrated the value of free speech and the right to protest peacefully. They didn't protest peacefully. They beat up a young woman. It's because according to the libs who have the political power, conservative speech is violence and leftist violence is speech. And that's just what they mean. So we can whine about the hypocrisy, we can whine about the double standard, or we can Go in, let our guys off the hook who have been prosecuted unjustly, and throw their people who have not been prosecuted unjustly, who, who have unjustly not been prosecuted, and we can throw them in the clink. And we can tell the police to do their jobs, and we can give the police the freedom to do their jobs. And we can tell the lawmakers and the legislators, kick out the miscreants who are upsetting the whole system. And we can say no to ideologies that are patently false, and we can make certain exclusions from society, and we can come to certain conclusions, and we can say, you know, we know, we might keep an open mind about a lot of things, but we know that men are not women. And if you say that men are women, then you belong in a classroom to learn the truth, or you belong in a madhouse to learn the truth a little bit more forcefully but we are not going to let you guys violently upend our whole society. My favorite comment yesterday is from Sean Hurley, who says, to think Jack Daniels used to be the drink of outlaw biker gangs, <laughs> and now, now it's the drink 
of drag queens. And it's actually, they could have the same kind of image. It's just previously it was the drink of, you know, Hell's Angels, and now it's the drink of the biker from the village people. So it's, it's definitely a little bit of a different aesthetic, but it's variations on a theme. That's true. And if the transgender activists remain as violent as they are, then Jack Daniels is going to be appealing to a group that is no less violent than they used to. Actually, a lot more violent. A lot more violent. How do we deal with this stuff? I think a, a real key here is we've got to be the reasonable ones. Okay? Being reasonable doesn't mean being conciliatory. It does, doesn't mean rolling over. Quite the opposite. When you are reasonable, when you have a clear vision of true and false and right and wrong, you, you can be very effective. You can be very forceful. There's no ambiguity. There's no meat in the middle. There's no, well, should we trans the six-year-olds or the nine-year-olds? There's none of that. It's just, no, okay, we can know that something is true, and we know that this other thing is false. And so everybody agrees with us on that. The majority of Americans know transgenderism is insane. And so it's, we, the majority of Americans know transgenderism is not true. And actually, the numbers are moving more in our direction, more in the direction of truth than in the direction of falsehood. So what the libs want us to do is to seem like we're screaming and angry and crazy and unreasonable. But no, we're not filled with hate. We're not phobic. We don't want to genocide anybody. We're just telling the truth as everybody knows it to be the truth, which is that men and women are not the same. That's very powerful. They, they want to trigger us into an unreasonable reaction. We shouldn't give that in. Reason is on our side here. You see this in one instantiation of the weird sex wars going on. You see this with the push to put porn into elementary and middle school classrooms and libraries. So there is a parent in uh, Texas, or I'm sorry, in upstate New York. This is a parent, the Pittsburgh Schools, Barker Road Middle School. He shows up. He gives a master class in how to present this issue to the public. And he did it at a school board meeting. Let's try another scenario. It's your daughter's 15th birthday party with a group of her friends and family gathered around. Are you going to give her a copy of Girl in Translation and maybe read a little bit from it to the group? I'd never been naked with a man before, and Matt's skin felt warm and rough. He must have taken care of the condom somehow, and then suddenly he was inside me. I gasped, but it hadn't hurt as much as I'd expected it to, and then I couldn't think at all anymore. When he finally came, he started to cry again. I held him tenderly in my arms. We lay there together, both breathing hard, returning to ourselves. Your reaction tells me that you would not give this book to your daughter. Then why is it assigned to 15-year-old 10th graders? I've included in your handouts a printout of a page from the U.S. Department of Justice's website that discusses obscenity. In it, it states the following. Federal law strictly prohibits the distribution of obscene matter to minors. So put a pause here. And he you see how this guy's mon monotonous voice is actually helping his argument here. This guy's level of cool and calm is really helping his argument. It, it's disarming. It's, none of the school board members are yelling at him. Sometimes in these school board showdowns, when the parents get really fired up, that gives the school board members an opening to say, hey, stop it, calm down, don't say it. But he's just, he's presenting himself as the most boring guy in the world. 
to great rhetorical effect. And he's just saying, hey, listen, simple scenario. You're 15-year-old, because this particular book is being taught in 10th grade. You're 15-year-old's at a birthday party. Would you want her reading this book? And he just reads it, and he doesn't even have that much emphasis on the, he just says, this is a chapter. Would you want your kid reading that? No, probably not. But then he anticipates the next question. He says, well, what are we supposed to do about it? We can't ban books. That would be terrible. The liberals tell us that banning books is the worst thing in the world. He says, here's what federal law says about obscenity. The content that I've just read to you is obviously obscene and pornographic. How do you scientifically figure out what's obscene and what's art? Well, there's no scientific process, but come on, let's be real. We all know it when we see it. So you know that this is pornographic. You know that this is obscene. You know it's up to the political community and the democracy to come up with standards for this. We all agree on those standards. I've just gotten you to agree with that by implicitly saying, yeah, you wouldn't want your kid reading it at a, at a birthday party. Okay, so here's what the federal law says about it. Here's, here's why you are allowed to ban this book. But then he takes his argument one step further. Any transfer or attempt to transfer such material to a minor under the age of 16, including over the internet, is punishable under federal law. It appears that the members of the board, the supervisor, some of the teachers, and some of the librarians may be guilty of trafficking and pornography to our children. I point this out because if you're not interested in taking care of our children by not providing them with pornography, maybe you'd be interested in saving yourselves from serious legal action that might land you behind bars or at a minimum expose you to an awful lot of public attention for your role in this child abuse. I suggest you read this handout in its entirety and not ignore it. It it might be a very good starting point for the discussion you should have with your attorneys. Love it. There it is. He starts out, says, hey, let's be reasonable. Let's just level with each other here. I'm not showboating. I'm clearly not showboating. I'm giving a very monotone, reserved speech. Let's let's be real. You know this book is wrong. You wouldn't want your kids reading it. Now, I'm going to point to the law to show you how maybe you were confused. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Maybe you didn't realize that you have this power, this legal power to proscribe this book and other obscenity. Okay, so I'm giving you that benefit of the doubt. But if you won't listen to reason, here's the threat. The consequence of that law is that if you guys keep this book in the classroom, you might very well be guilty of distributing obscene material to minors. And maybe we've got the political power in our state. Maybe we don't. At the state level in New York, we don't. In the local level, maybe they do. Upstate New York is pretty conservative. You are opening yourself up to legal action from us. We are not going to just suggest meekly that you do the right thing. If you don't do the right thing, we're going to prosecute you. We're going to bring the law down. We're going to wield the political power against you. So maybe you ought to think twice about it. That's the way to do it. Had, it's, it's almost the perfect speech on this issue. It's the best one I've heard yet. I, this should be taught in conservative oratory and rhetoric and statecraft classes. This and the politicians should follow through on this. Because the rhetoric is not going to have any force if we don't follow through, if we don't start prosecuting people under these laws. 
if we don't start kicking out the legislators who undermine the legislature, if we don't start subpoenaing the corrupt prosecutors who are trying to undo our political system by going after the leader of the political opposition who happens to be a former president. It's not going to have any effect if we don't do it. It's just all going to be talk, and talk is very cheap. Got to follow. If we don't start pardoning the political prisoners who the current regime arrests unjustly, and if we don't start prosecuting the criminals who are the cause of a lot of these problems in the first place. Beautiful, beautiful speech. I hope the libs get the message, and I hope conservatives get the message. We don't need to be unreasonable. We don't need to take the bait. Reason is on our side. Don't cede that territory to the libs. Reason is on our side. And then when you come to certain conclusions through the use of your intellect, that is when you can use your will to bring those conclusions to bear in public life. And that means promoting good things and eradicating bad ideas. Now, unfortunately, in our current culture, we're getting the opposite. So we just had Easter. I had a lovely Easter. I hope you all had a lovely Easter. Easter weekend is when Walter Reed, the government hospital, decides to kick Catholic priests out of the hospital uh, because they don't want priests in there getting the good news out, even on Easter week. I I wish there were some more complicated issue going on here. There's nothing more complicated. The Biden administration, like the Obama administration, just hates Christianity and hates the representatives of Christianity. So Obama, while Biden is vice president, sues nuns for being nuns. And the Biden administration is now kicking Catholic priests out of the Walter Reed Hospital. Government sent a cease and desist to these Catholic priests. The order was issued uh, because it said, no, we've got, we've got other pastoral ministers coming in. And we're not going to let you Catholics in anymore. The administration is just hostile to Christianity. It's, it's amazing. We look over at China. We say, China suppresses Christianity. Yeah, it does. But, but before you accuse someone else, maybe you ought to take a look in the mirror. These terrible nations on earth are suppressing Christianity. What about our country? Sues nuns tells Christians they can't go to their church during COVID for years. When the Christians can go to the the church, the feds send federal agents in to infiltrate the churches to spy on the Christians, and now says that the priests can't go talk to sick people, to to administer one of the most important sacraments of the church, which is extreme unction, last rites. That's the state of things, okay? And so we've got to come to certain conclusions about that. And it can't just be, well... Anybody can come in. They're going to send drag queens into your kid's kindergarten class, but they're not going to allow priests to go in and give the sacraments to sick people. That's where we are. That's how flipped the society is. So are we, are we willing? We are the reasonable ones here. We know, everyone knows that's unreasonable. <laughs> so are we willing to stand by our conclusions and then enforce those conclusions with the law? I am. Tennessee legislators are. Uh, uh, Jim Jordan is. Are you? Are you? I hope so. rest of the show continues now. It's Music Monday, baby. You don't want to miss it. It's dailywire.com. Code Knowles at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. We will see you at the Membrorum Segmentum.